Hi, everyone. You're listening to Canada Horse Podcast, and we're your hosts, Nikki Porter and Nadine Smith. We strive to enhance the lives of horse owners by facilitating conversations that make people want to talk. It is our passion for horses and continuous learning that is the driving force behind the conversations here on Canada Horse Podcast. We believe in education over judgment and informed choices over following the crowd. As equestrians, it's important for us to know the whys behind the decisions we make for both ourselves and our horses. Hello, you are listening to episode 51 of Canada Horse Podcast, and for this episode, Nadine and I decided to do something a little out of the ordinary. Two years ago, almost to the day, Nadine and I released a podcast episode with none other than Matt Mills himself. Now, we really enjoyed chatting with Matt and talking all things tack and equipment, And as we were talking about what we wanted to bring to you over the next coming weeks, we kind of thought it would be fun to republish his episode. It was published as a bonus episode March 11th of 2021. And I don't know if I shared this on the podcast yet or not, but I have the privilege of traveling to Texas next week to go and watch the American Performance Horseman Show put on by Teton Ridge, and Matt is going to be one of the competitors at this particular show. We kind of thought if there was ever an episode we wanted to republish for you guys, this is kind of a fun one. Because we did it as a bonus, it doesn't necessarily pop up for everyone as easily, and it's not as accessible as our regular podcast episodes. And where I'm heading next week to watch Matt compete, we just thought it was a fun idea to bring the episode back to life and have you guys enjoy the conversation that we had with him two years ago. Now, we understand the audio for this particular episode is not fantastic. We ended up recording this episode on Clubhouse, which was really cool because it allowed for us to have questions from other people for Matt, and we actually really enjoyed it. But it did lend to some crappier audio quality than we would ideally like. But we still think that it was an awesome episode and totally worth revisiting. And if you haven't heard of the American Performance Horseman show that's coming up on March 10th in Arlington, Texas, you should go and check it out. I'll actually put a link in the show notes for it. And this is going to be a very exciting event. It's an evening show only. It's done in teams and it's the top five cutters, top five rainers, and top five rain cow horse guys and ladies competing. And it's just, I am so excited. Oh, and bonus at the end of the evening, they have a live concert and it's going to be Blake's first live concert ever. It's Darius Rucker and Cheryl Crow. And we are so excited for this event. I'll do my best to be able to share about the show and while we're at the show on Instagram, but uh, 
If you haven't seen it, check it out. I don't know what they're going to do for whether they're doing any lives or whether they're going to have the um, the show to be watched online. But if you have the opportunity to watch it, if they do put it out there, which I believe they probably will be, then you should definitely check it out. It's going to be a great time. And we are going to be cheering for both Matt and Andrea. I don't know how we're going to choose who we're cheering for here. Um, we think they're both fantastic. And actually, every competitor in this show is awesome. Uh, I think we're just going to have to just cheer for everyone at this point. Uh, but we're really excited to be able to go and watch this. All right, enough out of me. I hope you enjoy the episode. It was one of our favorites. Welcome to Canada Horse Podcast. We have a special treat for you guys today. In our last episode, I mentioned that we'd be releasing a recorded chat with Matt Mills on April 1st, but we just couldn't keep it to ourselves that long. So we decided we would release it as a bonus episode. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There was zero chance we were going to hang on to something this good for that long. It's a different recording situation for us that day. It actually turned into a bit of a funny situation, slightly stressful at the very, like, there were some points there that we were a little stressed, um, but it was the first time that we'd ever been together recording an episode, which was episode number seven, and that went great, so we loved that, but then when it came to log on to Clubhouse to have the live conversation with Matt, we realized with only a couple minutes to go that we couldn't be logged in to this at the same time, and so... While we were recording into the microphone, we were like, how are we going to both be able to speak and not have that feedback? So it was a, a moment of panic. So Nadine, do you want to tell how we ended up fixing this problem? <laughs> okay, sure. So basically I sacrificed my comfort for the good of the podcast <laughs> audio. <laughs> so we're at a hotel, right? So our options of separating were slim. I decided at the very last minute, I'll go sit in the bathroom with the door shut for the conversation. That way, Nikki's mic won't pick up on my in-person voice while our both of our phones are making sounds. The only problem was is that in the bathroom, when you turn on the light, there was a very loud fan that turns on as well. And so that was like immediately out of the question. So I come out of the bathroom and Nikki goes, well, you're just going to have to do it in the hallway. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely not. Can you imagine what that would look like? I can't sit in the hallway. We have to figure this out right now. So you guys, there was literally maybe 60 seconds before we had to open the room. Like Matt Mills, if you guys are not reigning fans, he's a pretty big deal. <laughs> and so we needed to, to be professional and to, to sound right for us to record. So I did what I had to do. I spent the entire interview with Matt Mills sitting in the hotel bathroom in total darkness, but it was worth it. Oh, and I so appreciate you taking one for the team because I actually sat very comfortably in the sun <laughs> while we had that conversation, which was great. And the look on your face when you came out of the darkness was like you were seeing light for the first time. So uh, it may have started out a little rocky, but we jumped into it uh, discussing tack and equipment when, when Matt entered the room. And we wasted no time, really, mm -hmm. Nadine, did we? Yeah. Um, but we knew... We we only had an hour. So we wanted to make sure that we had a lot of questions or we had a lot of questions. We want to make sure that they all got answered and wanted to make the best of it. And you will notice there's a bit of a difference in the sound of the episode, but if you picture it, there's someone in a bathroom 
someone in the hotel room right next to her and I'm by the microphone and she's off her phone and Matt's off his phone. And at one point it sounds like Matt's outside. So, you know, excuse (laughs) the quality of the sound, but it was too good of an opportunity not to record. Yeah. I mean, we did our best and it was a really important conversation and a really good opportunity. So yeah, please just excuse the audio quality. And I hope everyone can picture that (laughs) officially. (laughs) And I just want to take a sec to remind everyone that it was only a few weeks ago, episode five, that we talked about our dream podcast guests. I'm talking dream podcast guests. Matt Mills was one of the guests that I was hoping to someday have on in my dreams. (laughs) You guys, I didn't even have a chance to put it on my vision board before it happened. That is, it's just not only is it the magic of Clubhouse, but just yeah, I don't know. We went for it, right? And he he also thankfully agreed. So the cool really thing is, is, we went for it after we made that episode, putting him on that list. So it mm-hmm. wasn't like we had reached out to him at that time. It was a very short amount of time before we were on Clubhouse, made the connection, and he was like, "Yeah, let's do the thing." Um, so I think, yeah, power of vision and intent and uh, and Clubhouse. Oh, and I guess the uh, the last thing I should say is we did not plan necessarily to record this because really we were pretty new into Clubhouse and we didn't quite know if we were allowed to. We had to look it up and, and people don't necessarily do that so often. But what happened was another room got scheduled at the same time and we really felt like there would be people that would miss out on the conversation. And so thank goodness, like 20 minutes before we record, like before we did it, Matt agreed that we could record it and here we are. And we're so gratefully did because we're so happy you get to hear the conversation. These are questions that we got to ask to someone at a, at a high level where they're basic questions, but at the same time, they're questions that even Matt, like we, we speak to him about saddle fitting and there are things that he has recently learned about saddle fitting and you'll hear it in the conversation. It's, it's really great. But the point is, is that you know, there's nothing wrong with asking basic questions, no matter what training level you are. And I think Matt's an incredible example of that. So it was really, uh, it was an honor to be able to have that conversation with him. I agree. Yeah. It's, he is really open about, you know, not everybody knows everything. There's always things to learn. And he did a really great job just sharing as much information as he could in a short period of time. So, all right, without further ado, here it is. Matt, thank you so much for doing this room with us today. It has all, it all really came about after we had spoken in another room a couple weeks ago and you had mentioned how important tack is to you and that you specifically looked at people's bits and spurs to see if they're being used properly and as intended. So uh, yeah, so welcome again. And do you want to just start off by giving us an idea of that kind of what that means to you? Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, just, just jumping right into it. You know, equipment, the equipment that we use with our horses, specifically today, we're talking about bits and 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 spurs or not using spurs is is so huge, right? Because that's kind of your that's your direct that's how you're communicating with them. And I see, you know, all the time, professionals, non-professionals, you know, they're they're not using bits, they're not using their head, and not and not you know picking, making better choices. Um, that, that would get to the release point, which that's what the whole thing is with training a horse to do anything, right? You want to you put pressure on them and then, then you're looking to get that release. 
give that release to the horse as quick as you can. Um, at least that's what you what you ought to be doing. At least that's what I do. Um, so, you know, like my, my tack room, for instance, I have just about every bit you can think of under the sun. And, and the way I see it, every horse is different. Their minds are different. Their mouths are different. Their, their chins are different. I mean, we have to take, at least with, for me with the Western stuff, you know, I'm using a lot of shank bridle. So I've got curb chains. I've got chin straps. Those are all things that make a huge difference. And I don't know how many times I've seen, you know, I'll have a subscriber come out with a horse and, you know, having issues with the horse. And the first thing I look at, horse has got bad attitude. Um, you know, horse is basically telling telling the rider, you know, I'm not really I'm not really liking what you're doing. And I'll just look at that equipment sometimes and I can see, hey, well, it's got a sharp mouthpiece that, uh, you know, and that rider's hands are a little fast. And, 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 and I simply change the equipment and immediately things get better. Same with spurs. You got different spur rows. Some, some riders need spurs, some don't. My thing is if it's almost, uh, you know, if you're not capable of controlling, you know, your own, your own body, you know, you can't, you can't control when that spur touches that horse or when it doesn't, you shouldn't have them on. And I get picked on, uh, you know, I, 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 I've gotten picked on many times for lots of stuff, but, uh, <laughs> You know, oh, you got those big spurs on your, on your boots. Well, honestly, I rarely use them. But the thing is, I've seen riders even that are that are driving their horses crazy, with no spurs on because they keep kick, 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 kick. They're not getting any response, and that horse is just getting more and more irritated because that rider is not releasing that pressure. Where, in my experience, you know, you go through that same. Um, method of you know that same order of putting pressure with your with your with your leg with your heel and if they don't move off you use a little soft spur and then you immediately release well my sequence ended in like maybe two seconds where yours you're struggling with that horse for an hour if that makes sense so that's where common sense i think comes into play i think that's really good and i think you're making an important point that sometimes we need to really think about if the spurs that we're wearing are appropriate for the person that we are and our body and our knowledge level and also our horse right so i am a five foot tall person and my first set of spurs i just bought the first set of lady spurs that i saw at the tax store and after using them for a while i realized that i need to have a really shorter shank because my my leg is always on the horse's belly if i'm not purposely like leaving it off of their side so you think that's important for people to kind of like customize their gear I, I think that's exactly right. You know, I think, you know, you got to be realistic, right? You know, are you are you just riding down the trail? Um, you know, do you really need those spurs? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But um, uh, exactly. I mean, you can custom make those spurs shorter shanks. Um, most folks probably need a mild row or none at all. Um, again, it's another one of those things where you don't have to just put those spurs on because you think you need to, you know, I mean, if you want to put them on and go to lunch or whatever, do that after, but spurs should be used as a tool in my opinion. Now it happens, you know, I do this for a living, so I'm able to wear, and I've got, and I've got fairly long legs where I, I can ride a horse around and not use my spurs. And, and um, matter of fact, um, you know, you might see me at a major event, pull my spurs off completely. If I have a horse that I, you know, maybe a little, little uneasy, a little nervous, a little fractious. Uh, and I just feel like those spurs are kind of something that's in that horse's mind. I'll pull those spurs off and I might ride him two days 
with no spurs purely you know kind of desensitize them and kind of just take that stress away um i think it goes like again it goes both ways i think some riders maybe need to take them off if you can't control your legs or you can custom fit those spurs uh and then some riders need to put the spurs on you know that's the other thing we we don't want to hurt we don't want to hurt our horse you know oh, i don't want to hurt my horse well if you read your horse's body language you are hurting your horse's feelings more by pounding on his sides with your with your boots or your legs for an hour and never letting that horse go and i and i tell and i tell you that because i read his body language and i see his ears are back and he's ringing his tail and uh, you know to me i think horses were probably a, a, at least not and now they're all different right but but they're they're black and white right they they'd rather you go ahead you know, and, and true, yes, we want to use the least amount of pressure, but get your point across, show me where you want to go, and then then release. And then if you keep doing that, you know, you get your repetitions in pretty soon, you don't have to use those spurs, but you've got them there. It's like with a kid, you know, you've you know, you've got a teenager and you you ask them nice and you ask them nice and you, you just better have enough you better be able to put enough pressure on them to make them do different, if that makes sense. And then if you're not comfortable, you know you can't you can't control your legs, it's you know, don't 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 use those tools. Matt, I think that's a really a really great point when we're thinking about we're looking at clear communication. So how can we use our equipment to make sure that we have the most clear communication possible to have fair communication and put fair pressure on our horses? So I w- do have one question because I know at least one or two people in the audience right now that maybe they aren't overly experienced at using spurs and they know that it's a tool that would be beneficial for them with their horse. Do you have any advice if someone's in the audience and they're saying like, I understand I'm in that place where I'm kicking and kicking, I'm in that gray area, but I'm nervous to put a set of spurs on because I've never used them before. What's your advice for someone to use, to learn how to use spurs appropriately with their horse? You know, that's a great, that's a great question. So I say everything, do it slow first, right? So, so that literally could be at the walk and pick the most basic exercise. And I think it's probably just walking forward. If you're thinking you need to use spurs, you're probably having some sort of fault problem getting your horse to move forward um or again you know if you're if you're really in tune to what your horse is doing and you're maybe it's just you want to try to work on his attitude um you know just go real slow and you've got to have a method in your you know an order or a method in your head of how you're going to go about doing it so for me like since we're talking about spurs i'd say what would be my ideal cue to get my horse to move next to nothing right maybe it's with your seat maybe it's a voice signal a cluck or a kiss, you know, maybe, maybe it's a subtle squeeze with your calf. And so I try those things first because that horse is never going to get soft. If you don't always ask them soft first. And then when they don't respond, then I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze with that spur first, uh, you know, and see how that horse responds to that. Then I might tap softly with that spur and just apply enough pressure to that horse moves forward. And then as soon as they do, I release that pressure. Then I have, to, I have to go back down the ladder and do the exact same thing again because my goal is not to use the spur. I, I don't want to use the spur. I just have it there as a tool to help that horse put enough pressure on him that they understand, oh, he wants me to go forward uh, or move laterally or whatever you're looking to do. As soon as, the, as soon as the horse does the job to answer the question, 
I, I release the pressure. The big thing is why I say do it going slow, because what, what you're going to deal with is, you know, is your balance good? You know, as a rider, can you control, you know, are your feet good? Are you, you know, do you have enough weight in your stirrups? Are you able to stop your spur from bouncing against the horse's side? Which that's the, that's the thing that happens. And a lot of riders, they don't even realize they're doing it, right? Nobody wants to irritate their horse on purpose, but, um, you know, your, your, your legs are bouncing and that spur is like a loose electrical wire that just keep kind of banging against that horse's side. Uh, and, and, and it could be without spurs too. I mean, it could just be your leg and that, and that, that, that leg, that spur just keeps bouncing and it's irritating because it's a form of pressure and that horse is going, man, you know, and, and what happens, they either get desensitized, right? So they completely tune you out or that horse is feeling that spur and it's an irritant and they want you to stop. And then they start acting out. And that's when you see, you're on a trail ride and all of a sudden the horse is seeing things that really there's nothing there to spook at, you know, or you're in the arena and, and your horse is just doing things that they don't normally do. Well, you know, who's to say uh, that they're not trying to say, Hey, uh, Matt, your spur, you know, the spurs here, I want you to stop doing it. You know, I've tried going forward. I've tried, you know, maybe not going forward. And now you're still, you're, you're still there and you don't realize you're doing it. And so then they start acting out, trying to get you to simply release that pressure. I've seen it so many times where, um, and, I, and I've been guilty of this, you know, you go, man, this must be some complicated issue. And it comes down to equipment. You change, you take your, I, I've had it for, for myself personally, horses that maybe are a little bit on the go, you know, and, and, I'm, and I, I maybe overestimate my ability to not use my spurs on my horse. But that horse is so sensitive. He knows, man, I know Matt's got those spurs on his boots. And I simply pull those spurs off, ride that horse for a couple days without him. And that horse goes from being a little on the muscle to all of a sudden this horse is dead quiet. That's real stuff that I've definitely, definitely noticed myself. And again, taking spurs off of riders, changing spurs, et cetera, et cetera. It, uh, it makes a huge difference. I love that. And I'm going to make sure I don't riff on this too much, but I think that the uh, that a p- important part of this conversation really is that part of it is that we need to become super clear about what you said, like, what is my initial cue? So many of us, I mean, we and we're all guilty of it, we tend to mix our cue and pressure. And part of you know, advancing our ride is what's the cue and then what's the the following pressure um, so that we can have those horses coming off of that light cue. So I absolutely love that, Matt. Thank you so much. And Nadine, why don't you take it from here? Okay, Matt. So we like to do our research. And so last night we spent some time watching some of the videos that you've put up on YouTube about different equipment. Um, One of the ones that we saw that you did recently was about a saddle maker coming into your barn and fitting some trees and I know that there were a couple of takeaways from that for you and do you mind speaking about that like what was your biggest takeaway from having him come in yeah so um yeah Andy Maschke makes makes all my saddles for me and um does you know fantastic job and you know don't get me wrong I mean I definitely know you know your saddle's supposed to fit your horse's back and Etc. So you know, I had to be like, "Oh, this guy doesn't even know what he's." No, I, I I do know that. But as far as like why I had him come out, I just had some horses that I just started. You know, everything's about trying to take care of the horse, right? You're trying to trying to get that horse to be at his best, feel his best, which um, is what I want to do as a good horseman, as a good horse owner. And then guess what? In return, 
you know, the better my horse feels, the better he's going to perform. So, you know, my performance is going to be better. Well, I had some that just, you know, they had dry spots on their back. You know, you pull the saddle off and right by the withers there. And, you know, and I'm just, it was just kind of driving me nuts, you know, because you, you know that that saddle's not fitting evenly across the horse's back. Or I had a couple horses that when I, when I'd go to spin them, the saddle would slide forward up onto their neck. And it, you know, kind of a big problem, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting all my weight up above that horse's withers. And then I had some where the horse, the saddle sliding back, and I'm compensating with breast collars, and I've got wedge pads on, um, trying to do everything I can think of. And um, it was just one conversation with a professional about it, and he was like, "Man, I've got, I've got so many different saddles with different trees," and it just kind of stuck in my head. And I thought, "Wait a minute, I only have like maybe a couple different." types of trees and you know i typically have between 30 and 40 horses that i'm riding i thought wait a minute so i called mashke andy mashke and i said hey you know let's talk about the the fit of the saddle to the horse and he started laughing and he goes i've asked you this before and he goes you you know you 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 know i say hey what kind of what kind of tree do you want and i'm like well you know the last saddle you made was really comfortable to me uh make that so so he's like, well, so I just made that, made the saddles like that. I wasn't even thinking about, you know, you never did say anything about trying to fit the horse. So that's where that came from. Then I have him come out and we take some of my saddles and we, we put them on these specific horses that I was telling you I've had these issues with. And he looks at, and he goes, well, this tree is the exact opposite of what you'd want to have. That this tree is putting pressure right on this horse's back in this certain spot or on this withers or et cetera, et cetera. And then you start, then you start really looking at that tree without the saddle and then throw the rider's weight on there and now now we're taking it another step right now we're really getting um you know we're fine-tuning this and you start seeing well the minute you get on your horse's back that you're putting uneven amount of pressure uh, and then you know whether you're just going down the trail or whether like you're doing like what i do you know i'm doing a, a, a highly athletic job with these horses and then you think all right now i've got this kind of irritant this, this, uh, you know, this, this, this saddle that's just, it's pushing down into my shoulders. Well, that could be the root of your problem right there. And I'll tell you what I did see definitely when we changed those trees and put them on those, put, you know, put ones that fit on those horses and I rode them off. There was probably only one that you, that maybe someone on the ground could notice that they could maybe see, oh, wow. Yeah. That horse is, you know, his head's dropped down lower and he looks more relaxed. But as a rider, I could feel it. You know, I could feel where, you know, maybe I'd have to pick up and collect that horse, work on collection. But, you know, horses that maybe I've got to work on collection all the time that I throw this saddle on and it just feels like they've gotten that relaxed feeling mainly or morally like uh, more like what I was saying, like that horse that I took the spurs off and that horse just completely relaxed. It's the same type deal. And that's what I think the whole point of like this talk today is, um, you know, trying to be in tune with what your horse is telling you trying to get that connection and trying to make sure we're not part of the problem because most of the time we are and, and, and oftentimes it could be an easy fix is changing your equipment uh and and trying to get you know so you can get your message across to your horse faster that's the name of the game you want to get that you want to get that horse understand what you want you want to get it through get it through to him fairly fast so why so you can you can release that pressure fast and then Again, goes back to that consistency, being patient, and then getting the repetitions in over and over and over. Pretty soon you have a horse that, you know, with very, very subtle cues, 
is is moving away. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. And yeah, we could tell like watching that video, some some of the things that you do as a trainer, obviously you know the answers to already, but you know, we're all trying to bring information to people and not everybody has the same knowledge base. So sometimes we have to break it down like you did to the very basics so that people understand that you can't just go out and get any saddle and that not every saddle fits the same horse. So we appreciate that you kind of put yourself out there to kind of bring him in and talk about that. And one of the things that um, we learned from watching that video is about how when you cinch up the horse and the saddle raises in the back a little bit, that sometimes that's not actually a bad thing because the shoulder relief that that provided for that tree was really cool. So was that was that actually a new thing for you? Yeah, no, 100%. That, that, was, a, that was an eye-opener tightening the cinch and then seeing the difference in how that saddle sits because i i for sure was one you know if the if the back of my saddle is up off the horse you know we're, we're talking western saddles right um i'm thinking oh the saddle doesn't fit and um and then you know he did he, you know he showed me and it was you know you could see with when you're looking at just the tree what happens and um yeah that was definitely something that i'm looking at because i'm again you know um, I, I, I say it all the time, you know, training horses. It's like, it's like lawyers and doctors are practicing law. They're practicing medicine. Well, I, I, you know, I'm practicing my craft as well, always trying to improve and trying to find ways that I can do things to make it easier for the horse. And, you know, that was, that was a, that was a big one, you know, and, and, um, and bits are more, I mean, just, just as important. I shouldn't say more important because it's all important, but they're just as important. Okay, so before we head into bits, because that is a conversation that I'm excited to be able to have as well, I have one question about saddle fit. So we're we're in the East Coast of Canada, and so for instance, when I wanted to get my new saddle, I shopped for my new saddle in the States, and I purchased my saddle secondhand, brought along, and you know, hoped and prayed that the saddle that I loved the look of and knew I would love the feel of would also fit my horse. But is there something that you could say or, or a piece of advice that you could offer to those of us who don't have the ability to try all these saddles on our horses to be able to make sure that we at least are on the right path to getting a saddle that might fit our horse? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a really good question. You know, I think there's probably a saddle out there, a tree that um, is kind of an in-between. It's probably a wider tree. Uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to speak like I'm a professional on, on trees because I'm not. But, um, you know, I, I think the best thing is to try to, you know, if you can find somebody, a saddle maker in particular, that can can take a look. And, you know, you, again, if I'm if I'm picking a tree, you say, okay, I have to have one tree. I'm probably going to pick one that uh, is maybe a little bigger, that covers more area um, than than a than a smaller one because I think it'll probably fit more horses. You know, of course, I'm always thinking about multiple horses. If I just had one horse or a handful of horses, I'm probably going to try to again get something that um, has a little bigger tree, and then and then your pad comes down to something, right? Your saddle pad that you choose. That was another thing too. Was like the thickness of pads. Sometimes you think. Well, I'll put a thicker saddle pad on there, and I can put whatever I want. Well, that that you know that that pressure is still there, you know, and, and uh, it's my understanding sometimes a thinner pad is better. Um, you know, those are that's another. It's like man, everything gets so complicated, but uh, but you know, 
you can you can really break things down so so back to your question you know maybe you get your maybe you invest and you get yourself a really nice saddle pad that takes some of that shock out and then you you just try to get yourself a saddle that's in the middle of the road the the best thing is to talk to a you know you got to talk to a saddle maker absolutely okay that's great advice and it's funny that you say that because I had a conversation or I was around a conversation around the thickness of saddle pads this past winter and it was uh, Jim Anderson from Oat West. He said, you know, if your boot isn't fitting you well, will you go put a thicker sock on to make it fit better? No. So that's what his way of explaining that sometimes it is a thinner pad that we need to go to versus a thicker. And I was kind of like, oh, well, the thicker, the fluffier, the better. It means that there's going to be less pressure. And he like blew that theory right out of the water. So that was fantastic. Okay. So... Uh, Nadine, why don't we head over to you and do you want to kind of dive into a little bit of the bit conversation or is there, or do you want to reset the room? Hey, okay. Well, I don't think we've had too many new people since we've started. Everybody's been kind of sticking around, but just so everyone knows we are recording. We have the hand uh, signal turned off for now so we can just kind of chat with Matt for a little bit and then we will uh, open it up for the audience to ask some questions. And so one thing, um, Matt, we did pose some of these things to our followers on Instagram, and we do have a few questions. And a couple of the um, common things that have come up is, what is your bit progression? And so I think a lot of people fall into, and a lot of trainers start to say this too, and we hear the lingo of, you know, they're in a snaffle. This is their snaffle year, and now they've reached this age. They need to be in a shank bit and and there's a the boss will thrown in there at some point too so what is your bit progression and would you necessarily recommend that for someone who's a non-pro or or a beginner necessarily or is there something that you think is a little safer in the hands of someone who's not so experienced yeah that's a that's a great question that we could spend hours talking mm-hmm. about um for sure, depending on your, you know, it's all, it's all about your level, right? You know, you should use a mild, the mild, milder bridles, milder chin straps, curb chains. If you don't have great control of your hands for the most part, and you don't have somebody watching you, um, you know, it's, it's going to be better to use less. Um, most times, most times. Um, for me, I don't really like to put myself uh, or my horses in some sort of category or, you know, I don't, I don't pigeonhole myself where I say, okay, I'm starting, uh, I'm going to use a snaffle for six months and then I'm going to use uh, the shank bridle and then I'm going to use this. No, I, I, I do what I feel the horse needs. So, you know, like I start mine at two. Now all my horses, I started with nothing on uh, at all. You know, I, when I, the first day I'm getting on with virtue with nothing on their head or it's a halter and rope. Um, Cause I, I just feel at that point, you know, you're, you're working on left, right, forward, and they don't need the added stress or another thing on their plate to have something in their mouth. Um, so I'll, the next next thing I would use, just give you a quick rundown, uh, the next the next thing I use is a side pull. And that's basically, you know, and, or sometimes I don't. I might use a rope halter, and I just get them going left and right and just let them feel the pressure, uh, um, you know, above my hands through their nose the next thing i do is i'll I'll put a smooth snaffle on of some sort and um and that's how i start my process and then going forward i use kind of depends on the horse you know for sure but i start playing around with different mouthpieces if i need to if i feel like here's what i feel like you know here's what i think if i'm if i'm having to 
I think of it having a conversation with my horse on this is what I want to do. This is where I'd like you to be. This is the horse is saying, this is where I want to be. And it's a compromise. We meet in the middle. If I feel like we're arguing all the time, like I'm having a really pull, you know, and he's just not getting it. He's just not getting it. And the horse is trying to figure it out, but he's just, we're not getting to where we want to go. That's when I start thinking about going to a little more bridle, you know, a more severe bridle or a different type bridle, however you want it. Maybe severe doesn't sound right, but the, you know, going a, a, a bridle that has different leverage points um and and so i might put something on let's say you know back to the idea that i don't get myself stuck on why well, do six months of snaffle well i might put something on a horse for a couple days to work on a spot that horse gets it figured out i drop back down to a lesser bridle um, but that horse now understands so i so i used it I used it as a tool, not as something that I'm just going to keep, you know, I'm not going to just keep ratcheting it up from there. Uh, same with curb chains and chin straps. You know, that that to me, when you talk about like the bidding process of switching a horse from a snaffle to a shank bridle, to me, the whole, the whole thing is the chin strap and the curb chain. Those horses are not that worked up over those mouthpieces. It has everything to do with that curb chain or that chin strap, because it's a whole nother leverage point that you add that um, I see more resistance there than uh, than anywhere else. I think that is really awesome. And I've had two instances in the last probably six months where that has brought been brought up. And so I was at a clinic um, one time and a girl had a leather chin strap on with her shank bit. And someone had brought it up to her, like, well, why are you having, why do you have a leather chin strap? You know, everybody just uses a chain. It's, it's got more bite. It's going to be more effective. And I, I just thought it was really important that we really need to know why we're using the equipment. And that particular woman, she was doing that on purpose. You know, she didn't need the bite under the chin. Right. And then we were at another clinic, um, not too long ago. And the clinician actually brought up the fact and took the leather the leather curb strap over to us and said, this is what you need. You need to loosen up your chin straps. You don't need to have them so tight. And so I really appreciate that you're bringing that out as well because so many people just automatically go to the chain. No, you're exactly right. And then that goes back to what are your hands like? And that's where you can compensate. There's little things you can do to help your horse out and help you out because you're trying to better your skills. You want to get your hands steady. Um, but reality is your hands just might not get that. You might not have enough time to practice. So you throw a leather chin strap on and that takes some of that, you know, that, that bite, that, uh, that irritant, same as those spurs, right. That are just kind of bouncing. You've got riders that maybe your balance isn't quite where you want it to be. And so you're kind of constantly on that bit, you know, you don't realize it, but you're balancing on it just a touch, just a touch. And it's just enough that your horse doesn't like it and you might not pick up on it and doing something simple like what you just said to throwing a leather chin strap on could be the difference you know or it could be you have a correctional uh you, you have you really looked at your equipment this is the thing too that i see there's some great knockoff um, bridles that are really inexpensive out there but uh, that's the other thing. It's like I'll go in some tack rooms uh, or, you know, I'll do a clinic or somebody will show up and I'll see some of the equipment that they have on their horse bridles. And I'm looking and I'm going, oh, my gosh, like, you know, they're 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 thinking they have this little toy cheap bridle on their horse that had, you know, the bars of the 
of the, um, the of the bit are so thin and they're not picking up that's more severe like there's things that you can look at my tack room and there's certain bridles you look at man that's really big and man i can't believe this guy has this in the tack room but they're not they're they're more mild maybe the tongue can fit up inside i can kind of tell a story about all of them and they're all tools and they're all that bit it's like guns right you know they're uh, they're not dangerous unless you put them in the wrong hands. Um, I, I can I can take about any bridle and and uh, you know most days I can I can be pretty soft with it and get my point across. But back to my my thing with the with the bits, seeing some of those inexpensive bridles that you'll see in a lot of your feed stores and stuff. Well, guys, it's like almost everything in life, right? You get what you pay for, and um, those bridles they cause more horses probably more sleepless nights you know you you, you want to spend a couple extra bucks you already bought the horse you know you you got all the equipment don't get uh, you know and i'm not again there's some good knockoffs out there but uh you want to have good equipment you want to have really good equipment absolutely and that's actually one thing that uh that happened when i bought my rainer i actually went i sent a message to the trainer uh, that I bought them from, and I said, okay, I am looking to purchase two bits, and I would like you to recommend. Of course, I feel like I had to remortgage my home slightly <laughs> when uh, when he told me, and and he said to me, it, you know, I was like, oh, a little held back by the by the price, but I took I bit the bullet because he just said, that, you know, they're never going to deteriorate like these. The quality that you're looking at here. Um, and the bits that I that I purchased were Tom Balding. They, he just said the quality you're looking for. I was able to order a custom bit, um, and I knew based on the trainer that I was choosing something that was that was correct for my particular horse and what we were looking to work on. But I do have a question that I hope that helps some people in the audience as well. Is that if you're looking at you know a shank versus your snaffle versus your gag bit? Um, can you talk a little bit about like the leverage and the pressure points for for bits and why you would want to switch up or change based on those particular bits? Yeah, good question. So I just so so you got you have rating horses. I didn't I just picked up on that, Nikki. Awesome. Um, yeah. So 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 deciding. Yeah, for, they, they all have different leverage points, like a gag bit. Um, you know, that's basically. You know, it, it's sliding up, doesn't have a chin strap. It, uh, it it only, when you pull on it, it, it engages and, and moves up that horse, you know, the, the mouthpiece engages. And so, you you, you know, that part's going to be self-explanatory. You know, maybe it's a snaffle gag. And so they're getting some tongue pressure. But then with the gag, they're getting pressure over their pole. And, and so they feel that. And then, you know, that's just a different spot. And some horses respond great to it. Some don't. But, you know, if you're working on collection, it might be something. And see, and I get horses of all types uh, from all places. And, you know, I don't really know all of their stories, who had what. You know, maybe it's a horse issue. Maybe it's a rider-created issue. But uh, they come in and maybe have these habits. You know, maybe they're wanting to throw their head all around. And they're just – I'm just not even um, – you know, they're not – I'm not getting through to them. I might throw that on for a day. And that's, that's a, like that type of bridle. I, I either like it or I don't. And I feel, oh, yep, this horse gets it. He feels the pole pressure, and that's kind of bingo. He understands. He gets to the release. And uh, my goal is to get those types of bridles off of him as soon as I can, mainly because those aren't ones that I can use to compete with. Those are those are just kind of, again, tools that I'll throw on for a day or two. But um, then you get into, 
bit higher ported bits that work off the roof of their mouth, off the palate. You'll have some horses that, believe it or not, you'll look at that big old tall bridle, and depending on how it's pitched, if it's straight up and down, it's probably more severe. Most of them have a, they've got a, a bend or a sweep to them. And so it's a soft roll, and the more bend to it, the softer it goes into that horse's palate. And, I, and I've had some horses of all different ages. You say, oh, we shouldn't put that on until they get older. I think you, you put on whatever the horse responds best to. Um, and, and I've had some horses that, that really respond great to pressure from the roof of their mouth. Uh, and when I say respond great means they, they, I'm able to release that pressure fast. Um, I've had some horses that don't like the, the bars of their mouth um, getting getting pulled, you know, some 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 are okay with it. Some it bothers them, it hurts them. You know, they've got sensitive bars, and you'll be surprised at how how you get these reactions. Our horses are pretty simple when it comes to that. You know, if they feel pain, you know, they don't like that. You know, and then you're getting your flight your your flight or fight mechanism in, and then you'll get off on this trail of, and I got to work on. I got to go and buy uh, my training series or rewatch it and this, that, and the other. And really just the left bar of your horse's mouth got sore because maybe when you were riding it, you were pulling on it or just was biting or pinching and um, drove that horse crazy. You know, you've got other bits that the tongue moves. You know, you'll have horses that have thicker tongues, you know, and they, they, they need the relief. They need to be able to get, get their tongue, move it around. Um, these are all things. This is also why, um, like, if you come into my tack room, I've got I've got hundreds of bits, and then I've got a box with hundreds of bits that um, you know I'll, 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 I'll get it to a point with where I'm training, and I go, you know, man, uh, this horse just he's working his mouth, he's just not comfortable, and I'll just go through and keep looking for different products. Now I've got the luxury, of course, I'm I'm in the business, so I've got a gazillion bits, and I'm it's easy for me to. Uh, justify with my wife that I'm going to buy another bit because, you know, it's an actual tool that I'm going to use. But, um, you you know, again, you don't know till you put it on. Nobody's an absolute. I mean, every, you know, people that are you know, experts, I guess, at bidding or whatever, but the horse is the one telling you. It doesn't matter what you think and of what you think the order ought to be. You can't argue with results. If I go out there and I put a bid on and that horse is responding and he looks quiet and comfortable, not intimidated, guess what? That's the right bridle for that horse. You know, and then like for me, I know myself getting back to knowing yourself as a rider, what you're bringing to the table. When I go to compete, most of the time I choose a milder bridle than I train that horse in. And the reason why is because I know when I'm competing, you know, I'm going to, my adrenaline's up. I'm going to be a little more intense. So if I'm a little more intense, that means my signals are going to be more intense. Therefore, I choose to go with a little milder bridle because in my mind, I'm thinking now we're balanced back out again. Oh my gosh, this stuff is so good. That's a really important point to any of us, you know, going in, especially just go in with something that's a little less severe than what you would normally use. I feel like we could go on and on and ask a million questions forever. I'm just going to ask one more of our questions, and then if it's okay, we'll open it up and see if anybody else has some some questions that we haven't touched on. Um, one thing that we learned when we started riding years and years and years ago was about the amount of wrinkles, your one wrinkle, your one and a half wrinkle that you should have when you fit the horse's bridle. But it seems like more recent years we're doing that, like having less and less and less wrinkles. Is that kind of the way that do you work in a certain way there? 
so that just depends on the bit. So like for me with a snaffle, um, I, I like to have more of a gap there. I don't want any pressure on that horse when I release that bit, I release that snaffle. I don't want anything, nothing pulling, no, no pressure, no constant pressure. Now the ported bits, it's a little different because you've got to look at their, um, you know, their, their leverage points. And, and it, a lot of times those, for me, I want them right at, at the, uh, the corner of their mouth. Um, cause I think that's, you know, they're, they're, they're made a certain way. They're balanced a certain way. And if you go dropping it down, that's another thing too. You know, it's, you think you're doing your horse a favor. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to drop this bit down. Cause I don't want Johnny to, you know, I want to be nice to Johnny. But yet now when you do that, you've, you've got that bit right in a different spot in their mouth where it wasn't designed to be. And you're actually making things worse. So, so for me with ported bits, I've got them right at the corner, uh, snaffles, uh, I've, I've got, you know, I've, I've got a little, they're not hanging down low, but I've got just a little gap. So, and, and again, my mind is when I release pressure, I want a true release of pressure. That is perfect. Thank you for explaining that. So, all right. Is, does anyone want to come up and uh, ask a question that we haven't covered yet? Oh my gosh, they're being shy. Well, we will oh, keep don't going. Be don't be scared. Don't be scared, guys. we have someone. <laughs> there we go. All right, T, you have a question. Go right ahead. Oh my God. Thank you. I'm at work. So I messaged Nadine and Nikki to ask about leverage points and bits because it's such a learning curve and it's such an intimidation, intimidating uh, field for me. I'm not a trainer. So um, this, this room has just been absolutely electrifying. Thank you, Nadine. Thank you, Matt, for being so generous with that answer. Um, I have a very clear understanding of how to approach this bidding matter and I will continue to look at your site and like research more but I really appreciate you um breaking the leverage points down so helpful thanks guys 100 percent. any you know any anything that that we can do to try to help us get better help our horses get better it's you know that's what it's all about thanks I'm going back to the audience all right thanks T and uh always appreciate your support okay and next I think we have Catherine, do you have a question? Yes, I do. Um, hello, Matt. It's really nice to, to meet you virtually. Um, I have a question concerning saddle fit on um, my little cutting bread, but now sorting mare. Um, Nikki can attest to this. Um, last year, all during training and the season, you know, she should be trained and everything. She's very talented, very sensitive, but she was always a bit resistant. Um, you'd get so far with her and then you'd lose ground and the whole bit. And then um, Nikki's husband, Mike, who's, who trains her for me, changed up the saddle to a different uh, a different saddle and it's like a completely different horse. And it just brought to um, mind and, and made me realize even more how how different the saddle fit is from each horse to the other and how it affects their training and their performance. But the question I had is basically looking for maybe a recommendation for saddle pads. What brand is out there that would be more, um, like more cut out in the shoulders? She's a very wide chested, um, stocky little mare. She's only about 14, one, 14, two. And, and, she is very wide in the shoulders, so I don't. I do know that Mike and Nikki have a saddle pad that they've adapted to a, a couple of horses there that allow for more of the shoulder movement, so it's less pinching. 
but my question is, I guess to you is, do you know of any certain brand or any type of saddle pad that would help her? Thank you. Hey, Catherine. Yeah, isn't that, that's awesome that you guys figured out to change the saddle. Like that, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I you, you figure out stuff like that and I get to feel it bad. I'm like, gosh, man, I've been riding you this poor horse for this long. And it was something simple like that. And you, or you think about horses in your past and you're like, oh man, I wish I had known then what I know now, right? Everybody says that. But uh, Nick, just try not to make those mistakes going forward. As far as the saddle pads, um, you know, there's a ton of great brands out there. I like Classic Equine. That's what I use. Uh, if you get on their site, the reason why I like them is they have, I think, like just about everything under the sun. You want one that's a little built up. Um, you want something cut out. Um, they, they pretty much have it. And then with that being said, I still had to try to manipulate things myself to try to custom fit to a certain horse. But Classic Equine would be my recommendation. They have... Like, you know, I think the probably one of the biggest select different selections of types of pads, thicknesses and uh, materials also. That's a great recommendation. And I will just speak to the fact that Catherine had someone actually fit this. It was a a um, Jeff Smith. So it was a Jeff Smith and somebody had fitted it and said that the saddle fit perfectly. So we were looking at it and really saying like, you know, maybe this is this is uh, past trauma that's causing so much tension. And then, you know, my husband really sat on it and recently was like, I'm just going to switch up the saddle. Even though she says it fits, I'm going to switch it up. And it was amazing. So um, we definitely recommend to make sure that if, uh, if you have questions about what's happening underneath you, that equipment this is why we're having this conversation the equipment is absolutely vital 100 percent. and you know it doesn't matter again you could read every book you could talk to every saddle maker i know i said earlier talk to the saddle maker but talk to the horse you know put that put that equipment on that horse and um, and try something different and see tell you know let the horse tell you you'll be able to tell thank you very much matt it's very helpful that is really really great you know it really comes down to what the horse is telling you and if you know your horse and he's acting different because you put a different bit on or maybe somebody used your bridle and you didn't realize and now it's up two holes and your horse is throwing their head up you really have to pay attention to your tack and check it and make sure that something hasn't changed from one day to the next so melanie do you have a question yes thank you so much for calling me to the room and matt thank you so much and i have a um Mike Corcoran custom saddle that I absolutely love just for reference if anyone's looking. I know he does English and Western saddles. But my question is, I'm starting new horses and I've transitioned. I have lots of different bits and bitless bridles, and but I've never used a bozal. I could be pronouncing it incorrectly, but what would be a good um, step up program for those horses that are just now starting to be handled at, um, you know, two and, uh, above yeah so so that kind of um you know that that there's the the bozels or those bozels they're they're good you know hackamores um, side pulls all things like that they're all great mechanical hackamores um again it just depends on what you're trying to accomplish where you're trying to go with your horse what discipline you're doing um you know we've been talking a whole lot about bits uh you know it's there, there are you know, horses out there and, and people out there that maybe don't need a bit, you know, maybe you, maybe you can get a, get away with a Bozell or a, 
um, you know, a, a mechanical hackamore or something like that. Just depends on what you what you're trying to get done with your horse. Um, to answer your question, a step up from that, from a Bozell, you know, you're probably going, you know, and, and again, that's a whole nother you know, thickness and material of those. Um, that's a that's a whole nother world, which um, I personally. You know, I, I know a little bit about that, but I don't use those a ton. So I kind of have some basic ones that uh, that I that I have. I've got I've got you know a little bit of everything. But um, my next thing is to go to a smooth snaffle. You know, and I and I and a thicker one too. You know, that's kind of my go-to thicker one. I say that because it's milder. Um, the thicker it is, the milder it is, and the more round it is. You know, that's that's what I that that's my next thing. And then then you've got your difference different sizes of your smooth snaffle and you can play around with that stuff too just depends on how you know how detailed you want to get and i hear some people say they could ride in a a loose ring snaffle their entire life is there a time when i know you said that if they're you know need a little bit more correction you might go to maybe a short shank or something like that but is there do you see some horses that can just stay in a smooth uh, snaffle their whole life oh absolutely absolutely i mean if the horse is responding there's no reason to change. Now, for what I do, I have to show one-handed. I have to compete one-handed. So, and, and I have shank snaffles, though, too. Uh, matter of fact, I have I have one horse that I can think of that uh, a shank snaffle feels like too much on him, but I have to put something on him. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, Melanie, um, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with keeping a snaffle on forever. It's, you know, if you're, you know, it, it really just depends on what it is you're trying to get done. And if your horse is responding, um, why change, you know, why, why, why change it if it's working, you know, no sense in changing it. I do that. I, I change, I go to shank bridles because I have to, because when I show that's the way our rules read, but, um, you know, I, I and I, even then I might drop back, even on my older horses, I'll drop back in a ring snaffle. There's certain things that it just seems like that just makes more sense to them, but I'm kind of, you know, I like to drop back to basics all the time. So I'll drop back to like some stuff that I taught him as a two-year-old early on, just most basic type things. I'll go back and check that um, that foundation and make sure the horse is really understanding what it is that I'm asking him to do. So I would tell you, don't get yourself trapped with, I got to use this bridle, I got to use that bridle. And keep in mind about the chin strap, you know, and the curb chain. That That's a big, big thing. You know, you can also... You can throw some of these shank bridles on, guys, like maybe a little, like a short shank correctional, let's say, and then put your chin strap on super, super loose when you're switching from a snaffle to a shanked bit, and watch what happens. You'll start, all of a sudden, you'll start going, oh, yeah, it really isn't that big a deal because it's that chin strap. It's that curb chain. So when I'm making the transition from a snaffle to a shank bridle, I'm doing it with a really, really loose chin strap. I, basically I'm not even using it. I just have a ported bit in the mouth and I'm just pulling with that and that's it. And then I slowly maybe start shortening that up because that, that tension changes, you know, if you got, and again, it goes back to your hand too. If your hand's bouncing all the time, well now if you, if you, like I was just telling you have a looser chin strap, but if you, you know, you tighten that up a little bit where it's kind of engaging, both that mouthpiece just swings and then it just bites, you know, when your if your hands are really moving a lot, um, you know, Again, goes back to the, you got to be self-aware, right? You got to know what, how are your hands? Thanks for answering my question, Matt. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Melanie. Appreciate the question. And we want to make sure that we're respecting Matt's time here. So we're getting close to the hour. So we did close hand raising and we're going to head to Michaela and then we'll finish up with Pam. So Michaela, what's your question? 
All right. Are you, you're talking to me, right? So I just want to make sure you're talking to the right Michaela. <laughs> yes, I am. In the audience. All right. Well, actually, I was. I just raised my hand just to say something about the the saddle pads. Uh, that I think was it Melanie. She asked about it um, with the cutting mare. Matt, he said he likes the classic equine. Um, I love the the five star pads. They're like 100% wool, felt wool, and they're just really wonderful on horses because they they really it's kind of like they shape around the horse's back, and it's like horses just love it. You know, you just never have that heat that builds up underneath the saddle it's um underneath the pad and um yeah i i just want to say that i really favor the five star pad great thank awesome. you so thank much thank you thank you michaela and uh matt it's it's interesting it, i feel like there are so many great brands out there now for all tack and equipment and it really is one of those great conversations where we can say this person really enjoys this and someone else uh, has found something else works so i really appreciate the uh, the different perspective pam what's your question oh pam i see that you have a little party hat you might have to uh, click the bottom right hand corner to unmute yourself okay thank you <laughs> my first time on sorry um and it, i don't want to keep uh anyone waiting it was actually not a question it was a comment on um saddle fit um, my background is distance endurance riding and i just wanted to add that even if you have a saddle that's really fits well if you are building up your horse's back or you're um, bringing a horse back from not um, working a lot you may find in three or six months that that saddle doesn't fit as well either because the back has built up that was just my comment I wanted to add thank you very much for listening that's a great point Pam you know that the, your, your horse's uh, physical uh, shape is going to change, you know, depending on, again, it depends on what you're doing, right? If, like endurance riding like that, for sure. You're definitely working on your horse's condition with reining horses. I'm working on my horse's condition and, you know, a young horse, a two-year-old versus a four or five-year-old's body is going to be completely different. That's a, that's a really good point. Thank you. I, I'd love to, maybe we can, uh, if, if we had one more question, if, if, if there's anybody out there, I, uh, I'm, I'm good. Thanks, Matt. I actually did have someone send me a message and said she she would have loved to have gotten this question in, and it was about the bit talk you were having and the transferring from the snaffle to the shank bit. And so she said, I don't really have a reason to transfer to from the snaffle bit except for eventually I want to be able to ride one-handed at a show. So at what point do I start making that transition? So that's a good question. So for me... I'm constantly thinking about that transition all the time. And, uh, and I, like I was saying earlier about, we were talking about spurs and like the order and how you ask, um, you ask soft, you give them your, your, you give them your, your perfect cue, your subtle, subtlest perfect cue. You, you give them that first and then you up the pressure from there. So I'm doing the same when I'm riding with two hands. I'm, I'm always thinking about neck reining because that's, that's what I do, which is comes down to one hand. So, I always ask when I'm doing directional stuff, I ask with a neck rein and then I use my direct. So I'm, so I'm already kind of uh, starting to, to, to begin that process from the word go. And then just because you have a ring snaffle on doesn't mean you can't ride in one hand with that. So then that's the next step is I'm, I'm guiding my horse around in one hand uh, with a snaffle. 
once I get to me, once I've gotten to the point where the horse kind of understands everything that I'm trying to teach it to do in two hands with a snaffle, unless we're talking about I'd run into a snag and this horse just isn't quite getting it and I feel like I've been slow and I'm working it and I need to change my bit up a little to get through that, um, that's a whole separate thing. If I just feel like, all right, my horse has a good grasp of what I want to do, I'm ready to go ahead and try that transition, I, and I'll, I'll do it. It doesn't matter when. It, it might be four months into that horse's training. Uh, it might be 18 months. You know, there's no every horse is different. It's like kids, you know, some 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 are good in school early, and some are good in school late. Some are never good in school, and they don't figure it out till later. Um, so I, I wait when I feel like that horse is kind of getting it. I'll throw that bit on uh, that shank bit with the loose chin strap, like I was telling you. I'll ride that horse around, and as long as everything feels pretty good, I might continue on. If, uh, you know, I get the knee-jerk reaction, the horse just acts like he absolutely hates it, um, I might drop back down to that snaffle for a few days. Maybe he's not ready, or maybe I need a different type of bit. That is really great. She's always already sent me the message saying that completely answered her question, so we really appreciate it. And um, Before you go, Matt, do you want to take this opportunity to just kind of tell people where they can find i know you have a lot of videos and you have a subscription program and stuff and i think that you've given us so much information and i know there's so much more where can we find and sign up for whatever it is that you offer (laughs) so yeah i i appreciate you guys getting on and uh and listen i'm 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 loving this uh, clubhouse app but um yeah so you can find me on facebook uh facebook business um, I try to try to put out some tips, helpful stuff, um, and typically I get all my ideas from from my followers. You know, send me comments, send me uh, see, send me DMs. Hey, I want to see this or that or the other, and um, I try to kick that stuff out every week. And um, and then we do like these little uh, vlogs on my Facebook where I just kind of let you kind of really kind of see inside what what I do on a on a day to day basis. Um, you can find me on Instagram. We're just getting rolling on the TikTok and Instagram Reels, which actually that that uh, that 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 first Instagram Reel, which I think that came from a from a Clubhouse talk, a kind of a Clubhouse kick in the butt um, by uh, man, who who was I think Jamie. I got like seven hundred twenty six thousand views. I was blown away. It's like crazy. Um, my subscription videos. That's on my website, mattmillsraining.com. It's a training video page. I have oh I don't know probably. Oh, 250, something like that, tutorials on there that go in depth on, um, you know, lots of different topics. A lot of it's related to raining. Um, but the thing is, all that stuff that we do, it all applies to applies to every kind of horse, right? You know, I mean, it's all it's all good, good horsemanship stuff. I've got stuff on starting colts, um, things like that. And uh, yeah, definitely look for the second season of the last cowboy that was a you know i mean there's not much with horses right on tv and that's just it was a reality show on raining and they did it a couple years ago i got fortunate enough to be part of it and they're doing that again so that probably we we won't see it till the end of the year they're going to start filming here in a little bit this second season but uh you know something something with horses that you know entertaining that we can watch on tv and you know i i think it was so good for the entire horse world. I mean, I, I could feel it. Other disciplines are like, man, you know, people are excited about horses. They see it on TV and uh, just, just, just kind of it. I think it's going to be an exciting year. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And yes, for sure. Check out everything that Matt has to offer. And Nadine and I, we run informed equestrian and we love this conversation 
And I personally, when I watch your videos and, and I look and see how you're positioning yourself as a professional, I have to just say kudos to you because our vision and our goal with Informed Equestrian is to make sure that everyone understands that there's no such thing as a stupid question and that no one knows everything and that we really as horse owners part of responsible horse ownership is asking those questions to make sure that we have what we need for our horses not just because somebody told us that we should do it and when I see your videos I watched a video recently about you um, learning about a new grain and talking about nutrition with your horses and it's really nice to be able to see a professional who is asking questions and not presenting things like um, like you should know everything because we can't and it's just amazing to be able to see that from our end so thank you Matt oh absolutely yeah it's it's so much fun you know you learn stuff all the time if you uh, you know you keep your ears open and uh, that that's that's also part of like what we want to do or what I want to do is just let people see that you know like you just said, you know, I'm approachable, we're approachable. I'm going through the same type of things with my horses. It might be something different. Um, you know, maybe I'm working on a spin or a lead change, this or the other, but I'm going through the t- same type struggles. And, and I just want to show how, you know, help people figure out how to get through that, how to problem solve, how to figure it out, that you, you, that you probably can figure it out. Um, and and that's, that's what I enjoy doing. And then I enjoy letting people see, like, I like like the reigning horse, how spectacular these horses are and what we do with them. And and then I like to really, you know, kind of uh, pull back the curtain and let people see, you know, these horses truly enjoy what they're doing. It's not um, it's not forced upon them. Is there bad stuff out there? Of course, and everything. But uh, it's really pretty. It's pretty amazing what what these horses allow us to do. And and I just love, I, I love what I do. And so I enjoy it. And I, I enjoy sharing that with everybody. When you use the word approachable, that is what I was basically going to thank you for being because you were so kind to come on here with us. And we really look forward to seeing you around Clubhouse again. And it is just so nice to see professional trainers that, you know, people are seeing on TV and we absolutely will watch The Last Cowboy. And to see that you were human just like the rest of us and going through those same struggles. And this has been really informative and really fun. And we don't want to take up any more of your time. So we really appreciate it, Matt. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate you being on and uh, have a good day. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to send us some love is by sharing about Canada Horse Podcast with your friends, finding us on Instagram, and leaving a review is always appreciated. With your support of the show, you are making a positive impact on our horse world. Until next time. Right on, Canada.